Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Uncommon Drive Podcast with Jeff Cross and Chad Ozie. Join us as we look at life, leadership, and legacy through the lens of sports officiating. Welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Drive Podcast, where we take a look at life, leadership, and legacy through the lens of sports officiating. I am Chad Ozie, and I am here with Jeff Cross. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm well. How are you, Chad? I am doing great and looking forward to our topic today. Um, it is Thanksgiving week, so if you're listening to our podcast in Real time, uh, we're actually going to drop this episode on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, Jeff and I are here recording a, a couple days before that so that we can have everything edited and ready for everybody on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, and uh, it's a special time of year. Um, there's all sorts of fun things going on. Uh, but it's also just a great time to sit back and be thankful. And so that's what our episode today is all about. We are we're going to share with you all some things that we are personally thankful for, mm-hmm. uh, both in the world of officiating and uh, and outside of it as well as it kind of spills over into that. <clears throat> the first thing we want to tell you, though, that we are thankful for is we are thankful for you, our listeners, mm-hmm. and especially thankful for those of you that have taken the time to leave us uh, a rating and a review, and if you would continue to be kind to do that, uh, we would be thankful for you that uh, that do that in the future. Just scroll down to the bottom of your uh, your library page as you use your different uh, listening apps, whether it's Spotify, Amazon, uh, Apple Podcasts, whatever you listen to. Go down, give us a five-star rating. Uh, tell us why you do or don't like the podcast in the review, uh, and that helps us out in so many different ways. And then another way that you can help us uh, that we're very thankful for is by shooting us an email at mm. uncommon drive podcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, your thoughts, your critiques, whatever they might be, so that we can continue to provide content that is helpful to you. Because uh, that's really the reason we do this. Mm-hmm. We, we want this to be something that is beneficial to other people. 
So Jeff, as we look at Thanksgiving and all those fun things that we are thankful for uh, in officiating, uh, just kind of get us kicked off today. What's what's something you're thankful for? Well, to be totally truthful, I'm thankful that now we can really celebrate Christmas now without people giving me a dirty look. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Oh, with Jeff, it's all about the jingle. I'm telling you. I love Christmas, man. It's so funny. I was actually thinking, might have been this morning or yesterday or something. I'm thinking, we're going to blink our eyes and Christmas is going to be over. And I'm going to be so mad. (laughs) I'm going to go, not in depression, but I'm going to be like, man. So, um, you know, I'm thankful for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I'm thankful, obviously, as you've already said, for the listeners. Um, You know, I don't know about you, but I'm just overwhelmed by the by the response we've had from the people that are listening or sharing or leaving those reviews. Um, you know, we do this kind of blindly into the microphone back and forth. Sure. Ha- not having any idea how it's going to affect anyone or if it's even going to affect one or if it's going to get to someone. And then we get a review or we get a text or email and it's just, um, I'm, I'm thankful for those opportunities to be able to have a chance to read those and and know that, uh, you know, we're doing the right thing. Absolutely, yeah. When when those come through, uh, for those of you that send those to us, you have no idea uh, how encouraging it mm. is. Sometimes, you know, you're headed to a game or you're in the middle of work or whatever, and and somebody shoots a text just saying, "Hey, listen to the podcast today," and it was really helpful, or "I really liked the story you shared," or whatever it was, and it's. Uh, uh, it's awesome. I had a great opportunity last week to be in the car with a, a couple people heading to a game that that happened to listen to the podcast, mm. and they were sharing a few things with me, and uh, that was that was really really great, and and I loved I loved getting to hear that. Uh, but specifically within the world of officiating, you know, there are things that we are we're thankful for. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Jeff and I began to talk, preparing for this episode, I, I found it interesting that they kind of break down into some categories. Um, you know, and one of the categories is that um, there are things that officiating develops within us. You know, there are characteristics, there are traits that we develop. And uh, Jeff uses words like grit all the time, you know, or, or grinding and, you know, trying to make sure that we're, you know, we're digging deep and doing the things that we need to do. But a, a word that Jeff uses a lot is this idea of courage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jeff, you, you kind of mentioned that. Tell me a little bit. Why, why is it that you're thankful for officiating and developing courage within you? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm thankful to have the opportunity to be able to practice my courage. Mm, I like that. Yeah. And, and I didn't realize where I learned that from until I became, you know, obviously as I got older, I, I learned more about courage. And um, as much as my dad and I don't get along, he taught me courage. And I didn't even realize he was teaching me courage. Uh, my dad, he, you know, he, like I said, he just didn't realize he was teaching me it until I became an adult. And some of the things he did, I realized, you know, because my mom and dad got a divorce when I was in like sixth grade, I think it was. And and I just didn't realize what he, as a kid, I was thinking, man, why is my dad doing this to me? And he maybe he didn't realize why he was doing it. But I was able to take that part of that lesson as a, a sixth grader. So I guess that makes me, what, 11, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Or 12 years old. And... um and, and, and parlay that into, 
a 25, 26 year old person who, who learned, you know, I, I, as I was, as we were preparing, I told you, you know, I didn't always have this, this way of thinking, you know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't, the 22, 23 year old Jeff Cross was not like, you know, thinking about how he's going to be a better person and, you know, all, you know, how do I develop myself to be, you know, more, uh, um, beneficial to the community around me and the people around me. But, you know, my dad challenged me in ways that I want to, I want to share some stories and I, and I want to try not to be, I don't want to say emotional, but you know, they, they, they have a, they have an attachment to me that will stick with me uh, probably till the day I die sure. and, and, and something I will remember. So, um, and when my dad taught me, he taught me phrases and my dad was a used car salesman and he said, a good deal is a state of mind, Jeff. And you know, as, as a, a teenager, I'm like, okay, big deal, dad. I don't know what that means. But if I take that into officiating, consistency is a state of mind. If a coach or players or even your supervisors believe they're getting a consistent game when you're on the floor, that's just a state of mind for them. Mm-hmm. The real truth will come when they go watch the video. Sure. And, you know, grade every single call. But if they believe they're getting a consistent game, then they are. And I had no idea my dad was teaching me that. And I, and I kind of steered off a little bit, and I apologize. But, you know, when I say my dad taught me courage, because without without getting too personal, but I, I will, there was a time when my dad, uh, my mom and dad were going through, going through a difficult divorce, and my mom had a boyfriend or whatever it was. They were working at the local Jewel, and it was my dad's weekend for me. And we were going, I don't know if I've ever told you the story or huh. not, but so we were going circling the jewel. This was my weekend with my dad. And he says to me, he was very upset with the boyfriend and my mom. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says to me, he says, if I go in there and I get in a fight with the boyfriend, as I use air quotes, will you hold my false teeth for me? Wow. And I, of course, now you're saying, oh, how does that affect your courage, Jeff? Because I had had the courage to say, no, I'm mm-hmm. not doing that. Yeah. I'm not going to be your, you know, your whatever, your your sidekick for this event that you're about to pull off. Mm-hmm. Um, there was even times as we, as we got older, I was, you know, married. We had kids and we were in our house and my, my dad was struggling in whatever way he was struggling with in some way, shape or form. And, um, he, I got news from other parts of my family. Hey, you know, your dad's upset, whatever it is. And he, he would call, he'd call the house and he'd say, Hey, can I stay the night at your house? And I had to tell him, no, mm-hmm. I had to have the courage to tell him no, because I knew that was not best for my family all in all, mm-hmm. I didn't want to put, not that they were going to be in danger, but I didn't want to make my wife, my kids feel uncomfortable in those situations. So although my dad and I don't get along and we have a very strained relationship, he taught me a major thing and that was courage. Mm. You know, and when we think of this time of year and things that we're thankful for, I think sometimes we, we think of that just purely in the warm, fuzzy sense, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, 
I'm thankful for all the good things in my life and all that. But yet, if, if we're honest about it, many times those good things come out of difficult things. Oh, tell you me know, about they, it. Yeah. They really do. And, you know, that's that's a, a concept where, you know, sometimes walking through the, the fire kind of purifies us. You know, mm. it, it takes all the other stuff and, and, and burns it off and, and leaves us with, with what's real, um, which you know, kind of leads me to something for me that I'm incredibly thankful for from the world of officiating. Um, and, and I know it's going to sound weird or at least a, a little uncommon, I think, when I say it, but I'm incredibly thankful for failure mm-hmm. in the world of officiating. Um, and I think that piggybacks a little bit, you know, what, what you had experienced with some of that at, at the time you would have just seen as very, very negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously you were able to take and, and turn and use that for something that was very good. Um, one of the reasons that I have learned to embrace this idea of failure, you know, we talked a couple episodes ago about learning from our mistakes and and then even beyond that, sharing our mistakes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I found it interesting. Um, I always, I, I listen to our podcasts in the car um, because I want to know what does it sound like there when, when I do the, the mixing and that kind of thing of it, I'm doing it through a set of headphones and all. And sometimes it sounds very different there than it does in a car with road noise and, you know, semis going by and everything else. And, and, uh, in fact, that episode I was really frustrated with, uh, because I, I didn't feel like I mixed it very well and the, the voices were a little unbalanced. And so I'm, I'm getting frustrated at myself as I'm, as I'm riding down the, the, the road. And, uh, as we got towards the end of that episode, I I'm challenged everybody, Hey, you know what, right now, you know, just, just call somebody and talk about a, you know, a failure or whatever. And I'm like, well, man, maybe I should listen to my own advice, you know? <laughs> and so I did, you know, I pulled out the phone and I, and I made a call. And, and, and I love the fact that, um, that mistakes and failures don't have to become the definition of who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, and, and I mentioned this to Jeff earlier, um, there's, I can't think of a time that an official has ended their career on one failure. Mm. Uh, I am a huge Kansas City Royals baseball fan. Grew up watching them. My favorite players were back then. There was a a very well-known play uh, in the 1985 World Series that a lot of people say the first base umpire just absolutely blew the call. And because of it, the Royals had the opportunity to go on and win the series in seven games and all that kind of thing. And and there are people that to this day talk about that call. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing was that umpire worked multiple seasons after that call. Yep. You know, we've, we've all had a night on the floor that if, if you asked us what kind of grade did we get, we got a failing grade. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, just last Saturday night, I worked an NCAA basketball game. My crew chief, a couple days later, sends out the clips and the very first clip that he sent me, we're not talking about a mistake. We're talking about a failure. Mm. I mean, maybe not of the epic variety, but mm-hmm. pretty big. Mm-hmm. It, and I, I just blew it. And I just, I think my response to him was, man, I missed that. Like, at best, it's this. At worst, it's that. I've got to get better. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's just kind of what I said. But what I loved about it was 
I'm right back on the court, mm-hmm. you know? So then I get the opportunity to say, okay, does that failure define me mm-hmm. or does my desire to get better define me? And the next time I see that situation, am I not going to make the same mistake? And I think for me, that's carried over into my my regular life, if we want to call it that, right? Sure, sure. So much more. In the past, you're so worried. As a, as a dad, you're worried about failing. As a mm. spouse, you're worried about failing. As a... Uh, a supervisor at work or whatever, you know, and you're so worried about the the potential of failing that sometimes it keeps us from doing anything and mm. almost paralyzes us. And for me, officiating has taught me that failure is a moment. Failure may even be a chapter, but but it's not the whole story. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I appreciate what that is has done in my life. I would even I like say, that. I think, listen, I. I wish I could have took failure, but you took it. So, but it's really good. And what I what I also think is, if we put the two of ours together, failure, what comes next? Courage. Yeah. Courage is next. You know, when we have that failure of a of a game or a, a night or a play, you know, if you have a failure of a play at the two minute mark in the second quarter, guess what? It's going to take courage next to see the next play or even try and develop from that next play. So, or that previous play. So if, if we could stop right here Mm -hmm. and I think this is some pretty powerful stuff, failure, what's next courage, you know, and, and I'm thankful for both of those opportunities and a chance to develop that skill because we're not very good at it. We're most people. It's just easier. It's Mm -hmm. easier to say I failed. What was me? head down and now I'm going to spend the next two weeks, you know, moping mm-hmm. instead of finding your courage, you know, within the few hours or maybe a few minutes or a few days to go, okay, time to get back on the horse. Absolutely. Uh, Jeff, I know that, you know, when you really first took your first steps into officiating, um, it, it started on the baseball side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, you know, and and I know there were some things about your your first steps into into pro baseball that were very transformative for you, and, and just about that in general. You know, uh, what is it about that time in your life that that makes you thankful for officiating? Yeah, so what Chad's talking about in 1992, just so we're aware, this episode is being recorded in 2021. So it's been a year, <laughs> been a day or two. <laughs> in 1992. The young Jeff Cross, born in 68, what do we say? That's, that makes me 24 years old, I think mm-hmm. it is. So 24-year-old Jeff Cross goes to umpire school thinking he knows everything. Thinking, you know, oh, yeah, I got this figured out. Like most 24-year-old 24 old kids do. They think they've got it all figured out. And I remember my roommates slash suite mates because it was, you know, they had it was dorm style. So okay. two beds, you shared a bathroom with another two people that had two beds. So that, that was what it was. And I remember sitting in this room the first day, really, but it, it, it tended to get, it tended to snowball even more because it was there for 30 days. The first day I literally within 30 minutes knew I didn't know anything. Hmm. I didn't know near as much as I thought I did. And I was with some, some, uh, I don't want to say older, but they were clearly older than me. Mm-hmm. So 20, even sometimes just a couple of years, 26, 28, maybe 30 years old. And I realized, whoa, 
I've got a long way to go. I'm not even married yet. These, you know, these guys were married, maybe had a kid, you know, whatever the scenario may be, and been just around maybe the game longer, knew so much more about the game. And it just made me, uh, made me realize. So I was thankful for the opportunity to umpire baseball because it quickly became, you know, a mindset, if that's the term you want to use, or thought process that you're, as I've said, you're not near as good as you think you are, mm. and you're not near as smart as you think you are. Mm. There's so many people out there that know so much more. Mm-hmm. And I was so thankful for that opportunity to be able to, for a, for a, a light switch, a light switch moment for me to go, I got, I got to be better in a situation to where I can take these opportunities and, and develop towards my adulthood. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, having gone from that early career in baseball into now, you know, hanging your hat in the basketball world, mm. you know, how, how has that affected you? Well, you know, another thing I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for the opportunity to to be able to work more than one sport. Mm. So I, I would not be the basketball referee that I am if it wasn't for me doing baseball and football. Oh, wow. So I did baseball, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a high level of baseball, learned a few things, was able to take that into working junior college basketball mm-hmm. or even high school basketball and was able to take those things. And then in the middle of my high school basketball career, I said, I'm going to try football. So now I'm doing baseball, basketball, and football. And the bi- I was surrounding myself. I was, you know, for lack of better terms, the the basketball was the meat in the football and baseball sandwich. Sure. You know, they were the bread and it just made, it made everything go. I don't want to say according to plan, but it just, I was able to develop a a style and an ability to be, to use the sport educationally for me to elevate in basketball. So I am so thankful that I had the opportunity to work baseball and to work football to in turn give me what you know we'll call success in the basketball arena. No, it's really cool. Um, you know, I obviously still work multiple sports and, mm-hmm. and I believe that it absolutely makes a huge impact. You know, we've we've talked to other people on our podcast, uh, Angie Inland the other day when we were talking mm-hmm. to her brought up the fact that you know she worked softball at such a high level mm-hmm. uh, and the things that that brought to her uh, in the basketball arena. And something that I think that the more sports that we do, the more people we're around, whatever, kind of brings me to the next thing that I'm thankful for, which is this idea of understanding what it means to evaluate. Um, you know, when I, I think the first time that I, I really understood it, I had gone to a, a collegiate baseball camp and I got my first written evaluation. Mm. You know, and I mean, I'd had that stuff at work. I'd had, you know, other things like that. A lot of that stuff was just kind of verbal, anecdotal, whatever. But here I I got this sheet back and it had, you know, numbers one through five. And it would rate my plate stance and my, you know, my 
instincts on the bases and, you know, my appearance and my mechanics and all that kind of stuff. And, and people began just, you know, attaching this arbitrary number to things that I was doing. And, you know, I'd work eight different games that weekend. And one person thought my, you know, mechanics were a three. The other person thought my mechanics were a five. And I'm trying to figure out in my mind, well, was I different that day? Or is it just the way they thought about it? You know, what was it? But through that process, what it began to teach me was that anything that we do, um, we, we can think it's great all we want. Mm. The question is, have we honestly evaluated, um, you know, how we're doing? And uh, I, I know I've shared this story in, in some circles. I, I don't know that I, I fully have on the podcast, but uh, I'm, I'm now uh, 46 years old. I, uh, I am in relatively good shape for a guy my age. Uh, but 15 years ago, I was not, mm-hmm. um, I'm in much, much better shape as a 46 year old than I was as a 31 year old. And, uh, I had been about 450 pounds, mm-hmm. uh, not about, I was 450 plus. So I was, I was definitely 450 and, um, Somebody who had, had been an athlete, high school, college, that kind of thing, um, had been very active. It had a massive knee injury. It had some other just uh, just kind of failures in life and stuff that had sent me making some choices when it came to food and activity level and all that kind of thing. And and so I began I began losing some weight and I went to a a college baseball camp at about somewhere between three twenty five and three fifty could carry myself well, could do all that kind of thing, but I was still a big boy. Uh, had evaluators that were very kind and very gracious, but didn't get a, a ton of opportunities out of that. And I went to another camp just a few months later. And uh, the guy who was evaluating the camp, uh, his name was Scott Taylor. He's mm-hmm. the now the NCAA Division II National Coordinator for Baseball Umpires. And uh, one thing that he did that was a little different at that camp than some was at the end of the camp, he sat down in a chair directly across from every single person that was at the camp. And he would just give his honest evaluation. And they had written things there as well as verbal. And he would say, I think this is the level you should be working right now. I think this is the level you could be working someday. I think these are the things you need to change and all that kind of stuff. And I was so nervous going into that sit down. I mean, I was just... You know, it, it was crazy to me. Why were you nervous? Well, I, I was nervous because anytime you sit down in one of those moments, somebody is getting ready to tell you things uh, maybe that are are a confirmation of things that you want. You know, maybe they're confirmation of things you fear. Mm. You know, and, and you sit down in that moment and and the way he started off the the conversation with me, at least the way that I remember it, is that he said, Chad, I just want you to know that when I saw your name on the list, I just didn't think that much about it. Hmm. And what he what he meant by that was he, he thought I was a nice guy. We'd hung out while we were at the camp that I'd been to before he had actually been at that camp. So he'd seen me and was aware of who I was and all. But when when I got to this particular camp, I was about... 35 pounds lighter at least if not 50 pounds lighter than where I'd been at the camp just several months beforehand and he kind of said you know the, the fact that I saw that that made me say hey this is somebody that's 
listening to coaching, listening to instruction, whatever. And I'd had a couple evaluators at the camp. You know, the, the first thing they'd written on the first day was, you know, moves good for a big guy. Mm. <laughs> but by the end of the camp, just said moves good. And, and they were honest in their evaluation with me saying, man, you can get everywhere you need to get. It's not a question of whether you can or not. It's a question of whether or not people think you'll be able to. Mm-hmm. And you don't get three days to convince them of that. They're making that decision when you first step onto the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this isn't all just about, you know, physical ability or fitness or things like that. Because I think this is about all different areas of how we officiate. Um, having someone give you honest, direct feedback is something that we don't get very often Mm. in the world. I don't care if that's at home, if that's in our friendships, if it's at our, you know, our day jobs, whatever they are. But in the world of officiating, I think sometimes more than just about anywhere, we get people that are willing to look us in the eyes and give us their honest evaluation. Now it's their evaluation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Doesn't mean it's everybody's evaluation. Mm -hmm. And if, uh, if you want to be a Division One official, all you have to do is get one Division One coordinator to have the evaluation of you that you're a Division One official. Mm-hmm. That's all it takes. You don't have to convince twenty of them. Yeah, you just true. have to convince one. It's not a committee. That's right. You know, <laughs> and they can hire you to work their conference, and you don't work someplace else. Um, and you know, and I've been fortunate enough to to have some of that kind of of success in what I do. But I think. That idea that that someone is willing to be that real with you, I think, is an incredible gift. And then I think what we do in the world of officiating with each other, you know, we've mentioned so many times in this podcast, you know, you send each other a clip. Hey, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And uh, if if Jeff evaluates one of my plays and he disagrees with me, that that's a gift. He, he's 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 using that courage that he learned from his dad all those mm-hmm. years ago, right? Mm-hmm. To say, man, this this may hurt or this may sting or he just may not like it, but I'm I'm willing to to disagree with this. Every crew chief that sends out clips to their crew, you know, that's that's a gift, and and I'm thankful for those gifts because it ultimately is about making us better mm-hmm. at what we do. Yeah, and I wonder often if we all have this same gift of courage or the gift of being able to give evaluation or receive evaluation. But like you said, you were so incredibly nervous sitting in front of Scott for fear that he might tell you something that you already know. That's right. You already know you're a big boy. Mm -hmm. Even though you've just lost a hundred pounds, you still know it in your heart of hearts and he's about potentially to mm-hmm. say it out loud to your face. Yep. And that's where it, for us to have the courage to evaluate, mm-hmm. sometimes we get it, you know, what a, you get in your own head, you're behind enemy lines, right? And we talk ourselves, I, mean, I just don't want to hurt Chad's feelings. I don't want to discourage him. I don't want to do all those things. Mm-hmm. And now the truth doesn't come. And then you walk away from that evaluation going, huh? He didn't say I was overweight. He didn't say I was a big guy. So maybe I am where I need to be. Mm-hmm. And then you go bury yourself in a pumpkin pie. So as much as we don't want to hear the honest evaluation or even give it sometimes, mm-hmm. it is really ultimately what everyone needs to hear. Now, we may not be 
strong enough yet or even developed enough to say that I can hear it every night for seven days a week. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? If I go home and snore, which I've never heard myself snore, by the way. <laughs> it's just a rumor. This is what Gina says. If I go home and snore, but if Gina tells me every night, you're snoring, you're snoring, you're snoring, you're snoring, you're snoring, I don't want to hear it anymore. Mm-hmm. And eventually I will stop listening to it. Yeah. So we need to hear our honest evaluation, but we also need to hear it um, at opportune times, I guess. You know, sometimes we, it, we have to be, we have to be in, a, in a state of mind or in a good mindset. We're willing to accept what we're about to hear which is exactly what you did. You said you went in really, really nervous, but you were preparing yourself. This is what I think he might say. This is what I think he's about to do. And then if you're prepared for that information, it becomes a lot easier to deal with. And, you know, for, for me, those people that have been willing to be honest like that are the people that then have ended up being the most impactful on my journey. Mm. You know, uh, the ones that just say what you want to hear, that that goes in one ear and out the other, you know, for the moment. And, and sometimes we, we don't want to hear the truth. We just want to hear, oh, no, you were great tonight. That's right. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and, you know, you, you can have a great night except for one call. But that, that one call may be big enough that it it tarnishes the rest of the mm-hmm. night. And you have, you have to be honest about that, you know, mm-hmm. when, when you evaluate. Uh, and, and because of that... Um, that evaluation because of that honesty and that courage from those people, you know, I've had the opportunity to, to really do some, some unbelievable things that back when I started out, when I went to that very first camp, I never thought I would have the opportunity to do. And, and I know that, uh, I know for both of us that some of the experiences that we have gotten because of officiating has to be some of the things that we're thankful for. So what, what are a couple of biggies for you, Jeff? What are, what are some experiences that you're thankful that officiating has given you? Yeah. Well, I'm going to go, we're going to rewind, okay. right? Go back to the, to the beginning of, of time of officiating for Jeff Cross. And, um, just just to kind of give you the story, I remember being um, at a baseball game, umpiring a baseball game. I've already started umpiring baseball, and I'm doing whatever, a Pony League game. And I'm doing that with a basketball referee, mm. uh, Bill Spricks. Yeah. Um, well-known name in the area, done multiple state final, boys state final t- games. Um, just, just a great all-around good guy. And he's umpiring a baseball game with me. And he says to me, you know, why don't you try baseball? And our base basketball, I apologize. Yeah. Why don't you try basketball? And I'm, you know, of course I'm like, I don't know anything about basketball. I just don't know. Um, and, and I remember thinking about it the whole game. Mm-hmm. I'm like, would I get any games? You know what? You know, cause that's always the big question, right? Sure. Is it if worth I start it? this, yeah. Am I going to get anything? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I can go out and get a degree in marketing, but will I get a job in marketing? You know? So all those things were going through my head and probably missed four or five safe foul calls at first base thinking about how, you know, how was, how will basketball change me? And that experience with him, when he had the courage to say, you ought to try basketball, it, it'll be something that'll be embedded into me forever. Mm. Because, you know, we don't do that enough. Yeah. We, we don't we don't reach out to the people we're next to. I, you know, I don't want to say I'd live, eat, and breathe basketball or officiating, but I'm very involved in it. And every kid at my school 
knows that I'm involved in it. So with hopes that that will bleed off into some of them. Yep. They may not become, you know, 70 game division one basketball referee, but they may dabble in it. Yep. They may say, hey, you know what? I'll make a few extra bucks in the summertime. They may even act differently when a call doesn't go their way mm. during the season. Yep. Just because I, they know what I do and they know the experiences that we talk about. So we need, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to share those stories. They'll share those, my, my love for officiating, you know, another person is Rick Preston. Rick Preston, again, was Bill Spriggs partner back in the day in multiple state finals. And this is back when I was working high school basketball and it was just in Illinois. It was just transitioning to three person crews mm-hmm. and basketballs out of two. And Rick was an old school referee and he just knew two person. And he asked me and my partner, Corky Schreiner, he said, Hey, would you guys be willing to take, this was a state final official. Would you be willing to take me on as your third? Cause I don't know anything about three person and I'm hoping you guys can teach me. <laughs> I'm like, is this really happening? We have a state final official wants to work with us. Yeah. Because he could have had his pick of any two guys in the state. Anybody, anybody, yeah. anybody would have bought into him. No problem at all. And he picked us. Why? I have no idea. But another amazing um, uh, story by a, a legendary official. Mm-hmm. You know, and we don't use those words, you know, freely, right? We, we, we used to say those things for very special people. And this Rick Preston was legendary when it came to rules knowledge and, and professionalism. And he was asking us. And right away, I knew then... I'm in, I'm in for something bigger than I imagined mm-hmm. in officiating because this is like, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you're in into, whether it's selling candy or, uh, you know, an accountant, when you have someone that has accolades like that and a resume like that, that wants to buy into what you're doing, mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty powerful. So I, I think, um, those are, you know, two people that, are, you know, and then my, my third, is Sam Nicholas. Hmm. Um, Sam Nicholas, you know, he's got a great story involved with him. Um, and we spent a majority of our baseball, college baseball career working together. Um, he now lives in Peoria and uh, doesn't referee basketball anymore or doesn't referee in sports anymore. But he he lives in Peoria. And I remember I was working, I was pumping gas. So I'm, I'm a... I'm a uh, what do you call that? Gas jockey? Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. You know, back when we had to do it, there was not. We had full service. It wasn't just self service. And he was in the self service part, and I saw him out there, and I knew he was a baseball umpire. Mm-hmm. And this is about this is like in ninety one, ninety two. Yeah, it was in ninety one because I ninety two was when I went to umpire school, so I knew I was slated to go. And I saw him out there pumping gas, and I knew who he was. He didn't know who I was. Okay. I went out and I said, Sam, Sam, Sam. And he, and he you know, gave me a crooked eye look like, yeah, what's going on, man? I said, my name's Jeff Cross and I'm going to umpire school in 92. And he was like, all right. <laughs> you know, what are we doing now? We got balloons. The house is working, right? So he, you know, he accepted that, right? Yeah. I go. It, it's, you know, then the winter passes by. He reaches out to me in the spring, knowing that I've came, come back. And uh, he said, you know, hey, would you like to be, you know, on my, you know, we partner up together. We'll go work baseball games together. And, you know, um, high school, we started off high school, then we moved on to college. But that courage 
mm-hmm. that I had to go up and act like a fool in front of someone who was a well-established baseball umpire in the area. And then he returned that courage by just reaching out to me and saying, you know, hey, do you want to go do this? Yeah. And it's, I'm so thankful for those those three people specifically, but you know, everyone that I meet in the officiating realm is, um, you know, has an effect on me in some way, shape, or form. But those three people have great stories to them mm-hmm. that, again, I'll never forget. It's it's something that I hope and pray that someone in 2042 is having a podcast with one of their buddies. And they're sharing a story about, hey, I remember when Jeff Cross came up to me and asked me to work a basketball game with him or whatever mm-hmm. that might be. So and it's 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 heartwarming to me. Mm-hmm. It's encouraging to me to to know there's still people like that out there. And we're we're making the world of officiating better, not just within officiating, but we're actually making the people around us better. And we're including the job of officiating. Yeah, that's cool. You know, those people obviously help propel you to some of where you're at now. What what are some of the experiences because of where they help propel you? You know, what what, what are a couple big moments from Jeff Cross's career that you look back on and go, man, I'm thankful I just got the opportunity to experience that. Yeah. Maybe on the court, on the field yeah. kind of thing. So first things first, on the baseball field. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I apologize for not knowing the year, but I, I was offered, I worked my first ever state final appearance. Um, back then you went and you worked a couple games. Um, I think it was like three. And then the championship game, everyone, all six of the umpires were on the championship game. Yeah. And I was there with my buddy, Sam. Oh, cool. And, uh, you know, I, I was just like elated. I'm like, all right, I got this. And I got to working with my buddy Sam and, you know, and, and all that stuff. And I, my position was uh, the right field line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I got this line covered, man. That's right. And, you know, I'm just like, I just don't care. I'm just having a great time. And I'm going to share probably a personal part of the story that maybe no one wants to hear, hear but I don't care. I, it, made, it made everyone laugh and made the the time more enjoyable to me because everyone knows if, if you're any kind of umpire at all, or watch the game of baseball, we know the guy or the girl on the right field line is not doing a whole lot. That's right. Now as an umpire, when you get dressed to umpire the plate, right, you're putting on undergarments and your cups and undershirts and long socks. So the shin guards don't chafe your legs and doing all this stuff. Right. Well, I knew I wasn't going to have to do that. Yeah. And it was a beautiful fall day or whatever, late summer, late spring day, early summer day. And I said, we got, got everybody got dressed. We got to the plate and we're all six of us there. We're waiting for the coaches to come out. And I looked at all my partners, the same included. And I said, I'm going free willy tonight. <laughs> 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 and they all just started laughing, but you know, and, and, and uh, our umpire in chief, who was not out there, you know, but he was like in charge of everything, right? Sure. And I'm just standing out on right field line, smiling, enjoying the moment, feeling great, you know. <laughs> and I come in, and, and our umpire in chief says, Jeff, well, you just look like you were just having a great time out there. I said, <laughs> Brad was his name. I said, Brad, that's because I wasn't wearing any underwear, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
So oh he's like, goodness. oh, all right. But again, I was in, it was a great moment for me to be able to share with Sam and my other fellow umpires. And I was fortunate enough to get that opportunity to work the very next year assignment home plate umpire oh, championship game. That's awesome. You know, I geared all the way up for that one. That's right. <laughs> so, that's right. There um, were multiple layers being worn that day. That's right. Yeah, that's right. You know, and, you know, football, for me, the biggest one, you know, believe it or not, my very first year refereeing, being as a registered high school football official, if I went to one meeting, I went to 100 that year, right? Mm-hmm. And they all told me, listen, don't don't even worry about the playoffs. You're not going to do the playoffs because you got to be certified for – you know, until you're a dinosaur before you can get any playoffs and all that stuff. And I'll never forget when I got um, the letter in the mail or an email, whatever it was back then. And it said I had been assigned a first round playoff in IHSA football series. And this was my first year mm-hmm. doing it. And I'm thinking to myself, everyone told me it couldn't be done. Mm-hmm. Why are they telling people that it couldn't be done when I just did it? Yeah. Well, that's rare. Okay, then that's fine. Maybe when we tell people this, we shouldn't discourage them from saying, hey, don't even think you're going to get this. Yeah, it's Yes, it may be harder to do. It may be something that doesn't happen you know, normally, but I think that is a, an opportunity that you can have mm-hmm. if you want. And basketball, you know, if, if I'm speaking truthfully, Probably my, you know, there's two things basketball-wise. I'll just go with a one story. So 2018, I think it was, 2018, the assignments come out for the NCAA tournament, 64 teams, right? And they pick 120 officials across the country. And you check the website. And if basically if you have a highlighted thing on on your homepage, then you click on it and it tells you, that you've potentially been selected. So we'll just say that was on a Sunday. Okay. So I log on Sunday at six o'clock, we'll say, and I don't have anything. I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, you know, time to move on. Time to, to go forward. Yeah. I'm in the middle of, of coaching high school baseball. So Monday morning, where do I go? I go to the baseball field, start working on the field and getting ready for practice and, you know, potentially games, whatever we had coming up. About one o'clock in the afternoon, I get a phone call from then June Corto mm-hmm. and it literally comes across June Corto on my phone. So evidently I had her stored in there for whatever reason. I'm like, this is odd. Mm-hmm. And I answer the phone and say, this is Jeff. And she said, Jeff, June Corto, um, we had an official that is unable to make the tournament. You're next in line. Wow. We need you to be on the call tonight at 6, 6 PM Eastern or 8 PM, whatever time it was. And you'll find out where you're going. I'm like, <laughs> that was my first ever time being on the floor for an NCAA tournament game. You know, I've never had a return since then, but that doesn't make any difference to me. Mm-hmm. That moment, that story will go down in history for me. So that's, that's amazing. You know, and again, uh, uh, multiple parts of, of those experiences for you go back to things that you've talked about in this podcast, things that I've heard you say at camps and clinics and everything else is that, you know, sometimes we get so geared up for what we think is a specific moment and that's not the moment. Mm -hmm. You know, it would have been so easy for you to say, 
okay, nothing came out on Sunday. I'm turning my phone off. I'm going to go take a three-day vacation. I'm going to hop down where it's warm. I'm you know, going to do something, right? Mm-hmm. And instead, you just you kept plugging away. You kept doing what you do. And then here comes this phone call and you're available. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I, I think that that is so great because not just is it a great story, but it so backs up things that you've said repeatedly over. You know, you obviously have lived out what you've taught and, and what you've spoken about. And, you know, when you, when you talk about experiences, um, for me, I, I have been far more fortunate than, than I deserve with some of the opportunities that I've, I've gotten. I got to work my very first, uh, division one baseball game in the shadow of the, what I still call the Sears tower to this day. Uh, I know everybody else calls it the Willis tower, but, uh, <laughs> uh, when you're, when you walk out to that baseball field and, and you look beyond center field wall and there's just that, that tower rising up and the entire Chicago skyline in the background. Uh, and it, uh, even though it's a very urban environment, it's one of the most beautiful environments in baseball I've, I've ever been in. And got to step onto that field uh, with a friend of mine that I'd kind of come up through the the camps and clinic system with, even though he's significantly younger than me, Brad Snyder, uh, who's going to be a phenomenal uh, umpire. He'll he'll go so far in his career uh, and is already doing amazing things. So I had the opportunity. The two of us worked our very first D1 game together. Mm. Um, you know, th- things like that that were just so, so amazing. Uh, to get to experience, you know, whether it's, you know, postseason conference tournaments or, you know, getting the opportunity, like you said, to work the plate for that, you know, that conference tournament championship mm. game or whatever, you know, things like that are, are so fun. Um, I, I think one of the experiences for me um, that was that was so interesting that really has made an impact on me now, not only as an official, but as a coordinator okay. is uh, the very first year I went to uh, a college basketball camp. I went to Waukegan, a mm. uh, camp that Jeff's very familiar with. Uh, I went there to this camp and got to, I, I did the, the three-day section of it. So it was like Thursday, Friday, Saturday morning. And then there was a new crew coming in, you know, Saturday morning to Sunday. And so I'd done my stuff and I was out working on the court and I'm still learning the right mechanics and all the stuff and everything. And I... I, I'm not where I, I need to be yet, but I'm doing everything I can to kind of figure out how to get there. And I worked my next to last game of the camp and I walk back out and there's a little locker room area. I go in, I use the restroom and uh, talk to a couple people and all. And I'm, I'm walking back out in the hallway and, and here is this, this lady um, who's a fireball of energy and uh, Missy Brooks caught me out in the hallway and she said, it's Chad, right? Mm. She knew who it was. She was just being <laughs> kind, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And she introduced herself and we talked, she said, Hey, I've, I've taken over this new, or taken over this division three conference. I'm, I'm new to the conference and, and I'm trying to put some people on my staff that I think are, are character kind of people and things like that and all. And, and I just want you to know, I'd, I'd really like to hire you to, to work on my staff mm-hmm. and uh man the feeling that was there when that happened 
um, was just unbelievable. It, mm-hmm. it was as big as any big game I've worked. It was as big because it was this validation, you know, that 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 one person's evaluation, mm-hmm. you know, like we talked about a minute ago, was worth. And and of all of the assigners that were there, the, there were like six assigners at that camp. She was the only one that hired me. <laughs> she was the only one giving me a shot. Now, a few weeks later, one of the other ones hired me, but didn't hire me on staff, just hired me for one independent school. Uh, but through the opportunities that Missy gave me and some others, and then that per- then I eventually got hired on that person's staff mid-season, again, because there was a need, mm-hmm. the availability, trumpability. And um, because of that experience and because of, of her being um, – willing to come and have a direct conversation Hmm. with me. Um, I, I remain incredibly loyal to that. Um, She, she sent me a game that's going to send me five hours each way for an NAI basketball game. And I told somebody I was going to do that. They're like, well, you're hoping you get a higher level assignment so you can call (laughs) off of it. Right. (laughs) And I said, you know, for anybody else, probably, but I said for Missy, I'll I'll drive five hours for that check Mm -hmm. because Missy was the one that was willing to take a chance on me. That's right. And I will forever be grateful for that. And so now as a, as a baseball coordinator, when I go to a camp and I evaluate somebody and it's somebody I know, I'm going to hire, not I'm, I'm considering or I'm trying to figure out where they fit. If it's somebody I know, I walk up to them and I have a direct conversation. And it's purely because of that example that Missy laid out for me. And I'm incredibly thankful because that that backs up that that personal connection, mm-hmm. you know, and, and ultimately, and, and we've talked about this on the podcast multiple times. The thing that I am most thankful for in the world of officiating, and I, I'm thankful for lots of things that we haven't even brought up today. You know, I'm thankful for lots of different experiences. I'm thankful for things that I've, I've, I've learned and and grown. I'm thankful for things that it's allowed my family to do. Mm-hmm. You know, the additional income that's come into my life because of it, and the flexibility that I have with officiating because I can, I can block off three days when mm-hmm. I've got a conference at work, and mm-hmm. I can block off the night of my kids big event or whatever and you know if I was working a different kind of part-time job I wouldn't necessarily have the freedom to do that so I'm, I'm very thankful for what officiating's afforded me in my life uh, but the the number one thing that it's afforded me is just some really incredible relationships mm-hmm. truth um, uh, you talked about you know some of those local guys Randy Kersky mm-hmm. is a guy for me a baseball guy that instead of seeing me as a, a newer guy that was a threat he saw me as somebody that wanted to learn the right way and just jumped in with everything that he had. And he and Terry Erickson and mm-hmm. Tom Haas and guys like that invited me to be a part of my very first Colt League World Series. And now I look, you know, six years down the line and and I'm the umpire in chief at the Colt League World Series that hires guys to come in and work and make those assignments and never would be where I'm at today if it wasn't for guys like that that poured into me and uh, guys like uh, uh, Mike Kukuk mm-hmm. and a Joe Ewers uh, and a Trent Eshelman, mm-hmm. Scott Goslin, guys that were here and local as, as basketball guys that gave me opportunities and, and, and put some faith and trust in me and all the people that serve in our, our local association that we mm-hmm. get to do. But then at the collegiate level, I have just been so blessed. I have phenomenal coordinators that I work for, um, but just some really great friendships and many of those were developed at camps and clinics um many of them were developed being you know 
between the lines, mm-hmm. whether it's the lines of the court or the field, and you go through some crazy stuff, and then you got stories to tell for the rest of your days. Um, but one one that I wanted to bring up today that I thought was was really significant, and then I'm going to kind of turn it back over to you for your last thoughts before we wrap this thing up. But um, when I was still 450 pounds, I would uh, go on a family deer hunt every year. And uh, this is the time of year that that would happen this for it here in Illinois. This last weekend was shotgun season, and and I would go over there, and we would spend the the first part of the week bow hunting, and then we would would shotgun hunt on the weekend. And I had a, a family member, a cousin, uh, that would come down. My my uncle would be there, and some other cousins that lived down there. But I had another cousin from Northern Illinois that would come down, and he would. Uh, he would bow hunt with this and shotgun hunt on the weekend. And sometimes he would have so many basketball games that he was working that he couldn't bow hunt, but he would come down he'd spend time with us and he'd drive to his game each night and come back. So he'd be up with us in the morning. We were going out to hunt and then we wouldn't see him until he came back from his game that night or whatever. And he would tell all these great stories. And I just remember thinking, man, how cool would it be to do that? Mm. But I was, I mean, I was so big. I would buy the, the, the buddy, stand the one that two people would get up in the deer hunt in and i had to buy that one for me to hunt in as one person oh wow and so you know just because of weight rating and everything like that and i'm thinking well man there's no way somebody like me could ever do something like that and uh and i would listen to his stories and he would tell stories about working at places like blackburn college Mm -hmm. and greenville and (laughs) lakeland and the way he would talk about these stories made it think that you were talking about Duke and North Carolina <laughs> and Baylor right. and, you know, cause he was so passionate about it mm. and he's a great storyteller on top of he it. Is, and yeah. so, so that made it so great. And he would talk about this guy that he would work all these games with mm. and this, this Jeff guy that he would work with. And I had no clue who this Jeff guy was. I didn't live up there or anything like that. But my, my cousin's name was Corky Schreiner. Mm. Some of the people that listen to this podcast would know Corky. And I had the incredible good fortune that one of my very first college games that I ever got the opportunity to work was with Corky all those years later. And right now, Corky's one of my biggest fans. We talked during the season. He'll ask me where I'm at, and he'll make some joke about I'm on my way up while he's on his way down mm. or whatever, and, <laughs> uh, all that kind of good stuff. And had no idea at that time that then this guy that he'd stepped into officiating with for the very first time uh, you know, was a person that then I'd call a friend and be able to do this podcast with. Mm. And uh, you know, I, as I look at, at being thankful, and because of my day job, Thankfulness is a is a big thing. It is, um, and uh, I, I believe that that my faith informs who I am, not just in that part of my life, but as as an official, as a friend, as a spouse, as a parent, as all those different things. Uh, but I'm incredibly thankful for the the community that we find at officiating. I'm very thankful that God's brought so many of those people into my life, and uh, and I get the opportunity to. Uh, to have them. And I'm incredibly thankful that I have family that supports what I do and is behind me and cheering me on. And, uh, for me, without those relationships, both on the court as well as off, uh, this, this isn't what it is in my life. That is so true, Chad. I mean, we, we could, we could go for hours on these stories that we're thankful for. And, and, 
and some of them you probably wouldn't believe are true if we told them like there is no way they're telling That's the right. truth here right <laughs> but for for the people that are listening that are not involved in officiating which we do have several That's people right. that listen that are not involved in officiating i'm going to tell you this one thing give it a try give it a try if you're a 65 year old whatever woman listen to this and like listen i'm too old to be officiating i guarantee you're not too old to climb up the ladder and referee a volleyball game yeah you're not Mm -hmm. you can do it if you have vision you can do it officiating can and will change your life yeah for the better you may not officiate for the next 30 years all you got to do is do it for a year and it will change your perspective on the way you just go about your day-to-day business. It'll change the way you watch a game. It'll change the way you root for a team. It'll change the way you talk to people about the sports that you love. Um, and I'll say this, the things we say and do are very powerful. Mm-hmm. We probably don't realize how powerful our words are or or our actions. And if officiating has taught me anything, it's taught me that. And I've taken that into my my field of, of coaching baseball and realizing that everything I say and do has a major impact on a 16 year old kid who's standing four feet away from me in the dugout. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for officiating, I would have never learned that. Um, so I know you're getting ready to wrap it up, but you you have to try it. And I'm going to say this: if you let's say let's just say you don't want to try it, I just Jeff Chad, I don't want to try officiating. I couldn't do it; it's too stressful for me. Then that's fine. That I want you to become friends with one. Mm. Just reach out and find out somebody that you know who is a sports official at whatever level and just become friends with them. I think just being around sports officials can make you a better person. Not if you don't want to do it. If you can't handle the anxiety uh, or whatever that, you know, the pressure of being a sports official, then be around someone who does because it, it's no, you know, not that my wife has changed, but my wife looks at the game differently. Sure. She does just from being around me and knowing the pressures that we're under and knowing the effort that I, that me personally puts into officiating and the friends that I hang out with do, she looks at the game differently and she respects the game differently. So um, absolutely. I was sitting at my in-laws house last night waiting for uh, some of my family to get back from a trip to uh, Alabama and we were sitting there and we were watching a, a men's college basketball game and we were talking about a couple of things. And I mentioned the fact that I had gotten these clips uh, from my game on Saturday night. And uh, my mother-in-law, who's an awesome lady, Deb, uh, she's like, you know, I, I hadn't even thought about that. She's, I figured you guys get there, you put on your uniform, you call the game, you take off your uniform, you go home. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, and, you know, even they are beginning to look at things just a little differently because of that. And, um, you know, we we've said every week we we'd love for you to uh, our our listeners to to take something from this and and be able to implement it right to to be able to use it uh, i think one of the things that both jeff and i would would love to see you do today as you listen to this podcast is 
first of all, just be thinking of those things that you're thankful for. Sometimes mm-hmm. we're, we're hitting the point of the season now where uh, a lot of you are going to work Thanksgiving tournaments this weekend. You're hitting the heart of, of conference seasons beginning to, to pick up mm-hmm. uh, within basketball, high school seasons getting to really get going, all that kind of stuff. And it's so easy to get caught up in all the junk that goes on and all the pressure and all the stuff. And so sometimes it's really good just just to make a mental note of, you know, four, five, six things that you're thankful for. And and maybe look for a couple uncommon things to be thankful for. Uh, And then, you know, secondly, man, if there's somebody, if there's something on that list that is a person, you know, you can attach a name Mm -hmm. to somebody on that list. Why not call them up and actually say, Thank you. Mm-hmm. And and maybe it's your spouse. Wow, thanks for supporting me while I do this. Uh, maybe it's a parent who allowed you some opportunities to be able to do this. Maybe it's another official. Maybe it's a coach that made an impact on you. Maybe you shoot off an email. Mm-hmm. You know, man, you know, that encouragement when I was working your eighth grade basketball game way back when, mm-hmm. and you didn't yell at me when I didn't know what I was doing, and mm-hmm. now I'm working an NCAA schedule. I just want to say thank you. Whatever mm-hmm. that might be, mm-hmm. man, find a way to let somebody else know that you're thankful. Because when when you yourself are thankful and grateful, that's one thing. But then when you share that with others, then it it, it exponentially increases mm-hmm. uh, the joy that comes from that. And and I think we both would encourage our reader, our listeners today, excuse me, to to do that, to yeah. to reach out and express that thankfulness to someone else. Yeah, and I, you know, before we sign off, which I know we're getting ready to do, and this has been you know a longer episode, but I think it's uh, it's worth the time. I mentioned many people that I'm thankful for, and I want to make sure I'm perfectly clear. I am thankful for my wife of 30 years. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful that she put up with, you know, just 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 to give you an example, I'm going to be out refereeing. I won't be home for Thanksgiving. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I'm not going to get a chance to spend time with my family. I'm thankful for her. Um, uh, what do I want to call this? Um, her ability to to adjust her ability to support me in in a profession or advocation, whatever you want to call that, uh, something that she knows is important to me. And, it, you know, if it's important to me, it's important to her. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we were able to, you know, go out for a nice dinner a couple of days prior and all those things, so that was really nice. But um, I don't deserve that. Mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate to have that. And I have two kids, you know, a 22-year-old daughter, and a 21-year-old son who I'm sure, you know, we would all love to be able to be together. But again, they have that um, that flexibility, that that understanding of this is what dad does. And yeah. this is his job. But, you know, he's able to do some other things in the summertime that most some, maybe some dads can't do or whatever that might be. So yeah. um, I'm very thankful for my family. And last, of course, but not least, and I haven't mentioned her yet, is my mom. You know, my mom was, uh, she was a tough old bird, man. <laughs> She's still alive too. Don't get me wrong. But she was, she, you know, I know we're done telling stories, but I'm gonna tell one more. She at, at 17 years old, I was a senior in high school. She, she had, she just ran a pretty tight ship. And I thought at 17, I didn't have to follow those rules. And my mom told me, I might've been. You know, we'll say April, so almost the end of the my senior year. She said, "Either you're going to follow these rules, or you're going to, or you're out." And I'm out. 
I moved out. Mm-hmm. And she stood by that. And so many people nowadays would be like, this is, you know, we got to send her into DCFS, whatever it is. But if I'm speaking truthfully, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Hmm. It's the greatest thing for for me to have to realize, you know what? Uh, my mom deserves my respect. Mm-hmm. And if I'm living in her house, I am going to follow her rules as much as I may not like them. And looking back, her rules were not that difficult. They were just <laughs> human rules. You know yeah. what I mean? They were, they weren't, you know, I, I didn't have to like polish the doorknobs, you know, or whatever that was. So I, they were just normal rules. And she stood by her word and it had such an impact on me to know that what she did, the courage she had to tell her 17 year old son, you're going to have to go out and suffer my son. And you're going to have to figure this out because you're not learning the way I'm trying to teach you. You're still not able to learn it. Then go out and try and figure it out. And now uh, the relationship I have with my mom is, you know, some would still say it's maybe scarred, but I don't think so. Mm-hmm. You know, I love seeing my mom. I love talking to my mom. Um, my 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 relationship with my mom is better than it's ever been if you go back to 1986, my senior year in high school. So that difficult situation that my mom put me through, I've, got, I've gotten the rewards tenfold. So thank you, Mom. That's amazing. Yeah, Jeff and I are both incredibly fortunate that we have families that support what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that are understanding and we know that not everybody has that and so uh, we're, we're appreciative of that but there's somebody out there uh, that is supporting what you do and encouraging you and if you don't have somebody like that know that there are at least a couple guys sitting in a room in Aroma Park Illinois right now <laughs> that uh, that do this because we believe in what you do as an official And if you're not an official, you're listening to this because of some of the other things that we talk about. We want you to know that we just use this lens to talk about Mm. life and Mm. leadership and legacy because we think that's ultimately what's important. Uh, The whistles are going to go away someday. Uh, There's at some point I'm going to take off my plate shoes and shin guards for the last time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the relationships are going to last. The lessons are going to last. And uh, that's that's what's important. Uh, So we're thankful for you. And hope that you have a phenomenal Thanksgiving season and uh, look forward to sharing more with you in the weeks to come. Thanks, Chad. See you guys. (laughs) See you guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Uncommon Drive podcast. Be sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And be sure to leave us a five-star rating. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.